It's but one small part of rail treasure trove. Yet of all the nations that have done so, none has a more fascinating whaling history than does the United States. It's always so easy to find, as easy to find whale feces as you might expect, um, because they're, they're not defecating every time. You know, there's, there may be periods when they're going and periods when they're not. Um, Roz Rolland and Scott Krauss and their colleagues thought of a unique way that they might optimize finding the number of samples, though. And that is using scat detecting dogs. So this is Fargo, uh, a Rottweiler that um, started his career as a companion animal. And when his, um, it was an elderly woman, when she died, he became a sniffer dog in uh, prison in Washington State. And he got his dream job, what every dog's dream job might be, which is a sniffer dog on land looking for grizzly scats and, and other scats. And then the crazy idea was, if it works on land, maybe it should work on the ocean as well. Uh, Fargo's limitation was he got seasick, so he had to have Dramamine before he went out. And um, his colleague, Bob, um, was terrified of whales. So Bob would just go to the bottom of the boat when, when a whale came surface near it. This is the North Atlantic right here, right whale here, by the way. But what's amazing is it did increase the amount of samples. Uh, Mr. President, Harpoon. I'm sorry that the band won't be playing Hail to the Chief, sir. Follow me. How, uh, how bad is it? Well, under the circumstances, it can't be very good, can it, sir? Are we losing the war? Well, I'm not sure that that's the issue, Mr. President. We need to be briefed. finding these samples. So here's a scent cone, same thing as, as dogs have on land. They're downwind of a sample or of what they're looking for and they're going upwind. And if, it, if they're excited, um, then you know you're on the scent. Fargo is a Rottweiler, tiny little tail, uh, tiny little tail, they used to call it the happy inch, I'll tell you. So when the happy inch was moving, um, Fargo would be excited, then he, that X means he's off the mark, he's, he's not smelling it anymore, he's, he's sitting down. Come on, Tyler. You with us, guy? Uh, 
Satellite tracking station, heavy industry, electronics. Civilian population? Ton of Russians, how many? Uh, just under a million, sir. All right, Tyler's good. Just hang in there, buddy. Your Kutz gets one megaton ground burst, low level, departing initial point inbound to target. Roger, inbound to target, heading 230, altitude. 500 feet above ground level. Sure. Release airspeed 385 knots. Sure. Bomb release 20 seconds from my hack. Ready? Ready? Hack. 20 seconds to bomb release. Escape heading straight through 230 degrees. Okay. Straight down Carl Mark Street. He's sitting down. He's relaxed. You get that that sign again, that means he's smelling it, indication. And the driver's got to figure this out. You've got to be going upwind. You're dealing with currents. This is the Bay of Fundy. So again, he's out. And then this circle indicates where humans can smell it. Right whale feces is really pungent. So even at 100 meters, humans can smell it. And then eventually, you find that sample. And many more samples were found when Fargo was on board than not. Um, some of these samples we analyzed that were collected by, um, by Scott and, and Roz Rowland. Other samples we collected, um, uh, we connected the humpback whales. 10 seconds. And five, four, three, two, one, and bomb away. Pushing over. Leveling of 500 feet, tail to a blast. Bye-bye, you, Bye-bye, little Pomishkas. Great atrocities committed in the name of um, moral, traditional, or religious doctrine. So um, Hobbes is a sort of pure secularist, I think. Um, sort of the first major secularist. Now, what is the structure of the book, of the Leviathan? The Leviathan comes in four parts. The first part is where he talks about man, and when he says man, he means humans, of course. Um, but that's it, really the first part's on human psychology. The second part is on what a political state consists in. He calls the political state for him a commonwealth. Um, and we'll see why in a moment here. The third and fourth part are less important for our sake. This is where he talks about Christian commonwealth, you know, how does... Um, religion in engage how does a commonwealth change when it's a christian commonwealth and what's the limits of the laws that a christian commonwealth can create and then finally the last part is on the kingdom of darkness and this is in particular an attack on catholicism today the real parts that really matter to us there's less so the third and fourth parts but really just these first two parts now but what's the whole fundamental problem that hobbes is interested in addressing i think it can be summed up by one question that question is, how can any political system unambiguously determine what is the law? About what 58 die of natural causes each year. Since there are 72 replacements, the surplus is 14. The number per thousand whalers can take yearly without reducing the herd. By calculations like these, the whales survive or perish. Is there any reason other than profit to catch a whale? Perhaps not, so far as the people who catch them are concerned. But there is more potential profit for mankind in some sorts of whaling than in others. These men are beating the water to drive pilot whales into the shore. 
pilot whales and some other small species, dolphins and porpoises, can sometimes be rounded up like cattle when the herds stray into the shallow waters of fjords and bays. Traditionally, this was the occasion for a mass slaughter, but fisherfolk have learned in recent years to take porpoises and dolphins alive. Their actual capture is easy. The small whales rarely show fight when cornered. Avoiding injury to the captives, safe packaging, and rapid transport are the hardest parts of the game. Their destination will be one of two new and growing markets, public aquariums and scientific institutions. In both, close observation and study of the smaller whales in captivity has begun to yield answers to some ancient perplexities. For instance, how do whales sleep? Bottle-nosed horses doze on the pool bottom for up to four minutes at a stretch. When they want a deep sleep, they surface and float. A flick of their tail every 20 to 50 seconds brings their blowhole out of the water and they breathe. As sleep deepens, the tail sinks. And a thermocline its movements diminish. is formed. So what happens is during the winter, you've got a well-mixed water column. In the summer, when the surface water heats up, you've got what's called a thermocline and the phytoplankton at the surface starts to use up, start to use up those nutrients. You have the nutrients at the bottom. What are the whales doing? Diving beneath that thermocline often and feeding and releasing feces there. So the, this activity is most important in the summer when you have that thermocline. That's when whales are pumping those nutrients into the surface. We call this a whale pump. Some other fundamental concepts we've got to mention here. And these will become really quite important. The first is his discussion of law and liberty. What is he talking about? Um, the first here is ju naturella, and that's the right of nature, right? That's the right of nature. Um, and the right of nature here is the most fundamental natural rights that we have, or the right of, I shouldn't say natural right, law of nature. So um, even that first time when I started thinking about this, there was one question. I was going out um, with my colleagues at the New England Aquarium. There were maybe 350 right whales in the whole North Atlantic. I mean, how important is that when you have so few whales? What about when there were 10,000, though? What about when whales were abundant before they were hunted? How would they have affected the oceans at that point? As it turns out, that's when things really matter is when you have, of course, abundant whales in the system. So here we're looking at what um, the nitrogen profile would look like historically when whales were abundant. Careful here. But that's the natural rights, the right of nature. The second is liberty. And he's going to define liberty as the absence of the external impediment. So freedom or liberty, which I'm going to use those terms synonymously here, but liberty refers to the inability to be stopped, right? That's what liberty is, right? So liberty isn't conceived of in a positive sense. It's rather understood. Or abundant atmospheric deposition. You don't have that so much coastal point sources um, have dropped out. This is before humans are here. And whales, depending on what number you use historically, were very important in driving that system. They had a big impact on the nitrogen cycle at that point. That brings into question 
I think it counters many of the claims by Japanese scientific whaling community that if we take whales out of the system, we'll have a more productive system. By taking whales out of the system, could actually inf influence the productivity of that system. Defined negatively is defined as the absence of external impediments. Now, lex naturalis, this is the law of nature. These are general rules by reason that we can derive through reason, which citizens are forbidden to do. Um, well, let me, I'm reading it too quickly here, right? These are natural laws that we can derive through reason in terms of human system. And reduce primary productivity in areas where whales are feeding. Because they're feeding on, on zooplankton or they're feeding on forage fish and they're releasing those nutrients back into the surface. So the whale pump, though, these culls that they're calling for, might actually be counterproductive. That is, by taking whales out of the system, you might lose productivity in those areas. So um, as you saw, fecal plumes are really big, right? So there's a, we, get, we can get a lot of sample from that. We were collecting it to look at nitrogen, to look at nutrients in that system. But there are lots of other things that can be done as well. So uh, an undergraduate, Annabelle Beichmann, working with Pete Gerges and Jim McCarthy, came along uh, to the Bay of Fundy with us and collected, um, collected fecal samples to look at the microbiome. To get an idea, I promised we were going to get into the bowels of, of the whales, to get an idea of how whales are breaking down the food. Conduct. And they're fundamentally, um, they're fundamentally come from this idea that citizens should be forbidden to do that, which is destructive. Right? And so there's these three different categories for talking about rights, laws, and liberty. Okay. Now, there's two basic laws of nature, and we'll see. Actually, I'm going to give lots more laws of nature, but the first two are really critical. The first is to seek peace and preserve it, and the second is by all means we by all means we have a, the capacity to defend ourselves. If we take these two principles as I'm sorry, these two laws of nature as axiomatic, what we're going to end up with Hobbes says is a whole litany of laws um, of nature that are really unwritten laws, but are also uh, that they're eating. This is a right whale courtship group, uh, really one of the most stunning wildlife uh, events that I've ever seen. Uh, you've got one female, you can have 10, 20 males trying to mate with her, or at least their surface activity at that point. And as it turns out, there's inevitably poop in those large aggregations. So you can actually see that here. Uh, that ended up being when you, we didn't have Fargo around, you'd look for a courtship group and you, and you could collect fecal samples outside of that. So um, this is work that we've just been work, uh, doing this, the, the past couple of years since then, and, and work that I've been working on here at, at Harvard, looking at the um, uh, uh, what help us make sense of the laws that do exist, the explicit legal laws. Okay, and we'll get into that more. Now, what does that also mean consequently? It means that man can relinquish his natural rights towards some sort of reciprocal goal. Now. Hobbes' view here, and this will make more sense again when we get to the state of nature, but the idea is here is that in nature, in pre-political life, before I exist in a political society, I have the right to do anything I want. My rights are essentially equal with yours. But because of these natural rights, I want peace and I want to preserve it and I want to defend myself through the state, what it essentially means is that we give up some of our natural rights in turn, we have civil rights, okay?
Alice here. Condor speaking. E4. Day word. Cottonmouth. Command word. Trinity. Action word. Jerry Cow. You have your card, sir. I do. Upper right hand corner. Please read the last three digits. 7C2. See for what, sir? Charlie. Second line from the top. Please read the middle sentence. 662. Deep for what, sir? Damn it. All you people waiting on World War IV, Alice? You wish to issue an order change, sir? I'm sure as I'll do. Did uh, Harpoon give you the signal code, sir? He's temporarily incapacitated. Uh. Gonna give you some advice, sir. <sighs> Plenty of that down here. I'm sure you have, sir. The situation is fluid. We've gotten our first coded messages from the ground. Gobbled but coded. That means we're getting our communications back. Good, that's good news. Now, I'm ordering 2-1 Zebra. We're getting things back, sir. I'd orbit and wait. Well, then you orbit and wait. I have no time. The Russians have too many missiles, and the Colonel says they're out of control. Fargo? With all due respect, sir, I'd run this past Harpoon first. Alice, implement 2-1 Zebra. Yes, sir. It'll take a few minutes, sir. Are you stalling me, Alice? No, sir. At the hands off this, new assignments, priorities. We're saying too much, sir. Alice, get your tail moving fast. Got a 2-1 Zebra. Jesus. You kill directly from Hobbs' argument here regarding self-accusation. Now, let me run through the other laws of nature that he talks about because it's fairly inquisitive. Because remember we talked about that he's interested in demonstrative reason. He thinks that we can sort of whittle away logically and determine what some natural laws for human action are based on this flight, if you will, from uh, the state of nature. Now, what's this third law of nature? Is that men should perform and fulfill their covenants. This is the idea that you have to keep your promises, right? And it's in this discussion of keeping promises that we get this sense of what justice is, right? Because remember, for Hobbes, in the state of nature, everything's allowed. So as soon as the state of nature ends, that means that we now have an obligation to keep our promises. And the first fundamental promise is that we give up some of our freedom to the society. Now, that means that justice, that if you break, the, if you break your promise, that's what constitutes injustice or injustice. And whatever is not unjust is just. So justice is always defined negatively as that um, which is not, you're not contractually obligated not to do, I guess. Right? So that means justice and propriety, that is the ability to have ownership in this sort of thing, begin with the constitution of the Commonwealth. But just. Circles? This is one circle. I'm not sure we should complete. That suggests treason, are you done? Why don't presidents have a personnel reliability program? I 
Jesus, don't get on that now. Yeah, well, who the hell did this? But you know, President never went through our little reliability program. You think the Politburo's got psychological screening or whatever they call it? None of them would have passed. And it's hard to find perfect people. None of us passed tonight. You might get philosophical in your sunset years, darling. Hours. Sunset hours. Major, we've got another SATCOM message coming in. Got the orders to go back to Spokane. This is pit stop two, please identify. Please speak English. Get the boss on the double. This is a priority channel. You're required to identify yourself. But justice is not contrary to reason or subjectively determined, right? So that means that justice, reason is not going to go against justice in his view. And simultaneously, justice isn't just made up by individuals. Justice is the result of um, demonstrative reasoning. Now, for Hobbes, the reason that's so critical is because otherwise you could end up with some, some sort of form of relativism um, or immoralism that we want to avoid. Now, there's two fundamental types of justice and really take pains to, to recognize these. There's communitative justice, Hobbes says, and there's distributive justice. And here's the way I want you to see this. Communitative justice refers to equal treatment, right? We all are equal under the law. So justice has to be fair to everyone. It's equal treatment. But on the other hand, another type of justice is thinking about how goods, resources, services are distributed. And here's the idea is that um, distributive justice needs to have equal benefit for all, right? Equal benefit for all. So this distinction between types of justice is important. Now, in terms of injustice, Nothing done to a man by his own consent can be considered an injury, right? And that's an important thing. So he, we have to say this, is that um, if we consent to something, then we can't say that that consent results in injury, right? Because um, otherwise you end up basically creating a contradiction. You, you are aware that one of your bombers turned the name in response. I turned the squadron of mine. No, I... I was not aware of that, Mr. President, but it certainly is reassuring news. Unfortunately, Mr. President, the remainder of both our bomber fleets continues to advance, but this will be nothing compared to the devastation from your submarine resources. I believe they operate on a pre-programmed attack schedule, yes? That is correct, sir. How much time before they launch? I can assure you, Mr. President, I'd tell you if I knew, but I have no idea. Mr. President, my situation at this moment is most difficult. You must be aware I will no longer be able to control my forces if you are unable to control yours. Well aware. Can you give me one hour, Mr. President? I'll try to turn those bombers around. I will do everything in my power. But if the others here believe for an instant that you are insincere, I won't be able to give you two minutes. Yes, yes I understand that. 
during the mid-1800s, but the painting continued to stir my curiosity, and soon I discovered that there were libraries devoted to whaling, providing almost unlimited material for a historical narrative. This book, then, is my attempt to weave that material into a maritime tapestry that attempts to do justice to America's rich whaling heritage. I don't know if I want to see it. Be glad something's here we couldn't screw up. I'm glad it's here. I'm glad you're here. Excuse me, sir. What? The president is on the phone. Condor. No, sir. The president. Alice here. This is the president speaking. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Day word. I don't think we have time for that, General. Give me that day word or you're talking to yourself. Day word, Cottonmouth. Command word, Trinity. Action word, Jericho. Now you'll probably ask me for the authenticator codes, right? Keep going, you're on a roll. I don't have my authenticator cards, Alice. Besides, I'm blind and I couldn't read the damn things if I did. Without that card, I don't know who you are. So what do we do now? You, you want to quiz me on the Brooklyn Dodgers, Betty Grable's measurements? I'm disconnecting. Now hold it, General. This is the President of the United States. Now we could play this by the book if you'd like and blow the damn wheel of smithereens. Now is that what you want? Now look, I need a pass through to the E4. The Secretary of Interior thinks he's a president. I need to talk to him fast. It's about the submarines. Do you understand? Without those codes, the E-4 won't give you the time of day. You can give me the goddamn codes. Now, I need a patch through to the E-4. Will you do it? I'm sorry, sir. For God's sakes, it's me, Charlie. Look, we got to stop this damn thing now. It's down to us. See two million people view their banner demoting SOPA. At the end of the day, there were about 10 million petition signatures, 8 million calls to congressmen, and over 4 million emails sent to Congress. According to the official site made for the strike, there were over 1 billion people affected in some way because of the blackout. Twitter reported over 2.4 million to stop online piracy-related tweets on the day of the protest. The blackout made a big difference, causing 24 senators to come out against the bills, and in a few days, Representative Lamar Smith withdrew SOPA. Most of this happened in 2012. How does it affect us today? Well, college students and educators could be affected because bills like the Stop Online Piracy Act could block open educational resource sites. These sites are created to be shared. Recall the bomber, Sam. What? You heard me. Of a new commander in chief. Hey. Hey, look down there. Well, these boys look serious. I'd say real serious. Polar Bear One, this is Red Fox One of USS Midway Pacific Battle Group on guard. Famous. 
Uh, that's us, pal. Well, we have NCA orders to escort you to a water landing and rescue, or shoot you down. Polar Bear 1, do you understand? Sorry, friend. The partner here is afraid of sharks. Polar Bear 1, do you know what a sidewinder will do to your crate? A little short on humor. Hey, sailor. You want to say goodbye to the lady on my rank here first? We don't want to do this, buddy. Experiments in this series is history. As an added safety measure, every man is thoroughly brushed and checked with a Geiger counter before he is allowed to return to his campsite. Every individual has received a singular personal impression, of course, but most of the participants have formed an opinion in common. But, Bird, don't you think that the atomic weapon would be a mighty powerful thing for our soldiers to avoid on a battlefield? Well, Al, there's no, no uh, question about it. It is a powerful weapon. But we have had proven to us uh, in these tests that a soldier can fight and survive on an atomic battlefield if he protects himself adequately. Well, Bert, you were out there. How's about some comments on this radiation I hear so much about? Well, uh, there is radiation. There's no question about that. But, well, for example, the other day I was out there at 2,500 yards from ground zero, and I received one millirentgen of uh, radiation uh, during that time. And it takes approximately 450 Rankins to place one in the critical category. So, as you can see, I'm, I'm still here. Others have only been found on whales. What's the consequence of hunting whales is this may be some of the earliest extinctions in the sea are a result of our over-harvesting whales. Why is that? We took the habitat out, right? So we depleted whale populations, all the habitat around the oceans, by between 60 and 90%. By taking that habitat out, we removed places for these species to settle. So um, Craig Smith and, and a few colleagues and I looked at that extinction curve and found that we could have lost 15% or more species in the deep sea before we even knew they existed. Another thing that changed is when whales die, they, we don't have large trees in the ocean, but we have large animals. They remove a lot of carbon. When historically, during the age of whaling, we were burning those whales. We were burning the oil. We were releasing the carbon into the atmosphere. But when whales die, naturally, they're sequestering that carbon in the deep sea uh, to the tune of about historically 200,000 tons of carbon a year were sequestered just because of these whale falls. Nowadays, we have about 30 tons of carbon a year. So here, we're starting to think about restoration. What happens if we bring those whale populations back? Here's one way of actually increasing the sequestration of, of carbon. It's comparable, Jim, I don't know what you'd think, up to about um, a reforestation of a few states in the United States. So it's, it's a significant amount of carbon. It's not going to solve climate change, though, restoring whales. That we have to do. To the question, what about the ground soldier in the atomic age, desert rock experiments give a clear answer. The atom has revolutionized the mechanics of warfare, but the basic element, the fighting man, remains unchanged. No one is more aware of this than the men of the United States Army. It is historical fact that military weakness is an invitation to aggression. 
By being prepared, our army hopes to avoid a future war. But should war come, it may also become historical fact that the war was won in advance, thanks to the experiments and maneuvers held at Camp Desert Rock. Now this is Sergeant Stuart Queen, inviting you to be with us again next week for another look at your army in action in the big picture. ...of what it felt like to get something for free. On December 8, 1999, the RIAA announced it was suing Napster for violating copyright laws. This was the first P2P technology case. This case would set the example for future cases. The RIAA could not accuse Napster of direct infringement. This was because the program did not actually make copies of the songs. Instead, Napster was charged with contributory and vicarious copyright infringement. In other words, Napster was making it possible for others to violate copyright. This case marked the beginning of the end for Napster. The judge ruled in favor of the RIAA, and Napster was ordered to shut down. However, the damage had already been done. With the president is on the line, sir. Sir, I've turned the bombers, but I cannot issue orders to the submarines. The Air Force cannot give orders to the Navy. Mr. President, the Navy has two Tacoma planes for communicating to the subs. One over the Atlantic, the other over the Pacific. You'll take orders only from the president or his successor. Sir, I must give you the authenticator codes. Condor. My God, is that what they call you? I wouldn't stand for that if I were you, Mr. Secretary. Mr. President? I'm afraid the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. I'm told you've done a superb job in my absence, and I congratulate you. Now we must work together to take the next step. The bombers have already been turned, but we haven't much time. You turned the bombers? We must stop the submarines, and it's going to take the two of us. We must give orders for a ceasefire. Then we'll put what's left of our country back on its feet. The Russians are people trained to sound like the president. Who is this? Do you want me to give you the authenticator codes? I certainly do. So even if he gets the numbers right, see, they could have intercepted our communications by now. The Russians may have the code. Who the hell is this? This is the president. Johnny, a real president would do what's right for the country. Shut up. Just shut up. 